A couple getting married will imagine how perfect they will be together. But often, eyes begin to collide. I imagine it this way. To me, this would be best. What we imagine becomes a war for I, me, and mine. The solution for most couples is to learn to compromise. Just learn to get along, learn to work it out. Compromise can keep us together. It can make it last. But is that really all you want? To make it last? What if there is something better? Well, it is good to see you today. Are you feeling good? Are you feeling good? What a beautiful week. Little sunshine, starting to warm up a little bit. I actually saw green stuff coming from what was frozen ground. It's, it's on the way. And it's March, which means it's madness. Basketball fans? Basketball fans? Some basketball fans? Yeah? I wore my colors today. And the reason I wore my colors today, honestly, my team's still in it, but next we play Michigan State, and if we were to get by them, then we play Duke. I figured this week was a good week to wear my colors. I did, I did. And for those of you who are basketball fans, you might be asking, I can't believe that you would still wear your team's colors with all the controversy that, that you know, revolves around your team and a coach being let go and all that jazz. And I just want to clarify our, our motto is we don't pay players. We just try. That's it. All right. We don't pay them. We just try. All right. So still wearing the colors with pride. Hey, I want to welcome you to week two of a talk series called Imagine. And the reason we're calling it Imagine is because when approaching a relationship, we imagine what it will be like. But when imagining the future with that most significant person, it usually ends up organizing around me. In the middle of imagine is me. Now, I think I can prove it to you real quick. For most of us, we never dreamed about becoming the perfect person for someone. We dreamed about finding the perfect person for who? Me. We didn't dream about becoming for them. We dreamed about finding for me. So if I can imagine the perfect relationship and then I can find the perfect person to make that come true, this is going to be good as I imagine. So what we said last week is we bring some stuff into this relationship, right? There are some things that we try to imagine. We imagine uh, what we're going to do with this stuff. 
what, what money is going to look like, how, how that's going to work, how much we're going to have, how many incomes, how we're going to spend, how we're going to save. We, we imagine what the house is going to look like. We imagine how that's going to get kept up, what's going to be inside, who's going who's to be a part of outside. We, we imagine things like, what are we going to drive, right? What are we going to drive? And, 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 and how many of these are we going to have, right? going to have one. No, we, we think we want to have two. No, we, we want a whole basketball team. We, we want to have five. We, we imagine what we're going to do with our time. We, how much are we going to spend working? What, what about our free time, though? We're going to spend it together. No, we're going to each spend, you know, doing the things that we love. We, we imagine what our wife will not wear to bed, right? We, 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 we imagine all that stuff, and she's saying, he just loves me. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He just wants me to be comfortable. The point is, we all imagine. And so on a wedding day, I bring her ring and my pack. And I place that ring on her finger, and I begin to attempt to place this pack on her back. Here's what I imagine. Make it come true. And all of a sudden, what I imagine becomes pressure. It becomes weight. The key is, she does the same thing. Puts a ring on my finger and her, her pack on, on my back. And all of a sudden, we, we've exchanged what we imagine. Here's what I see. Here's what I see. And eyes begin to collide. The pressure builds. We're not there yet. I see it. I see it. We're not there yet. We don't live in that house yet, but we will, right, honey? We don't, we don't get to drive that car yet, but we will, right, honey? Our finances aren't at that level, but, but you're going to get there, right, honey? And eyes collide. We exchange packs, and we start negotiation. And we tend to believe we tend to think that the best option for all of this is what we call compromise. If you imagine things and I imagine things, then, then compromise has to be the answer. And it almost becomes this game. The word madness actually comes to my mind. It, it is madness that this game ensues. There's a little quote, there's a little quip that goes like this. Gentlemen, always remember... It's cheaper to let your wife overspend at Target than to get a divorce and a second wife who will overspend at Target. That's terrible, right? And yet we kind of laugh at it because you know why? It's the game. It's the game everybody plays. Like how far can you push it? How far can, how, what, what are we going to give and take? What do you have to give into in order to get what you want? How, how much do you sort of have to feed in order, in order to, it's, it's a game. What can each of us get away with? But last week we talked about what ends up resulting is what we call a debt relationship. You owe me. You owe me and I owe you. And in a debt relationship, you get to the point where you can't even recognize love. If I owe you flowers, there's no gratitude. If you owe me this, there's no appreciation and there's no margin in order for love to be 
recognized. So the question is, how do we keep this from happening? And last week we started asking a question, a question that all great relationships know the answer to. All great marriages, I'm telling you, when you see those that you're like, I don't know what they got, but that's what I want, they know the answer to this question. It's the question that we've started asking. What does she owe me? And ladies, what does he owe me? And the answer is nothing. In fact, here's the principle that we understand that all great relationships understand. We owe each other everything, but we are not owed anything in return. We owe each other everything, but we are not owed anything in return. And you say, Jeff, that makes no sense. I say, I know. I know. But isn't that how every great marriage looks? It really doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how they are what they are when it's good and they are what they are when the circumstances are bad, when there's plenty of money, when there's not much money, when they can't have kids, when they can't have kids. It makes no sense, I know. But this is what Christian marriage looks like. I'm going to say it again. This is what Christian marriage looks like. What makes Christian marriage is not a ceremony in a church. What makes Christian marriage is not a code of conduct. What makes Christian marriage is is not specific roles. It is not compromise. What makes Christian marriage is a little something called submission competition. And submission competition is simply we each race to the back of the line for the purpose of putting the other first. And I know, when I say it, people are like, that ain't gonna work, that's crazy. That ain't gonna work, that's crazy. Everybody knows you don't race to the back of the line, you you race to the front of the line. That's how our culture works, that's how our world works. You race to the front of the line if you wanna get what you want. You race to the front of the line if you wanna see it happen like you wanna see it happen. You, You wanna get ahead, you wanna really make it, right? You gotta race to the front of the line. But Christian marriage is a race to the back of the line to put the other first. And you're saying, where did you get such a crazy idea? And today I've come to show you his name is Jesus. When Jesus gathered for the last time to celebrate the Passover with his disciples, he tells them, I'm going to give you a new command. Now that's a bigger wow moment than we realize because they knew there's only one who gives commands. That's God. And all those had already been given through Moses. And so for Jesus to say a new command I'm going to give you, he's stepping in front of Moses and he's stepping on equal, equal ground with God, which is exactly where he is. And he says, I got a new command, an extraordinary command that I'm going to give you. And this is what it looks like. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. 
And they're like, Jesus, 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 we, we heard this one. That ain't new. We've heard this one. He goes, no, 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 no. A new command I give you, love one another. And you ready? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the new part. That's the extraordinary part. As, as I have loved you, so I want you to love one another. He just took 600 plus laws and he narrowed them down to one. As you have been loved, love. Now, I think we don't get the whole conversation and when we get to heaven it'll be fun to see what actually went on fully in that room that night. But I can imagine Jesus going around the room, right? As I have loved you, love one another. Hey, Matthew. Hey, Matthew, you remember when we first met? He's like, yes, Jesus. Matthew, you remember what you were doing? I was a tax collector. That's right, Matthew. That means that for most people in this room, that, that means that you, you were a, a, an embarrassment to your family. You were an embarrassment to your nation. You are cheating your own people on behalf of the Romans who are oppressing them. That's who you were. Matthew, do you remember what I said to you? Jesus, you said follow me. And you did, didn't you, Matthew? Yes. Hey, Peter, you remember how you felt when I said to Matthew, follow me? He's like, oh, yeah, I remember. You didn't want him in, did you? No. But you know what? I chose both of you, and I, I put you on this team. Matthew, do you remember what happened next after I said, follow me? Yeah, Jesus, we went to my house. And Jesus said, you remember who we invited? And Peter's like, I remember who we invited. It was the worst day of my life. We invited all the tax collectors. Not just one, but everybody. You invited all the tax collectors. Jesus said, that's right. Listen, as you have seen me love, as you have seen me extend grace, I want you to extend such love and display such grace with every person you meet. Hey, Nathaniel, you remember when we first met? Nathaniel's like, yeah, I remember. Jesus like, you dissed my family, didn't you? Yeah, remember that? Nazareth, what good could come from Nazareth? You, you dissed my family, you dissed my, my, my hometown. Nathaniel, did I ever hold that against you? No. Nathaniel, what did I say to you? You said, follow me. And he looks around the room and he says, as I have loved you, so I want you to love one another. And then get this, get this. Jesus leaves that room and he marches to a cross. And he looks at us and he says, I want you to love like that. I gave my life for you. I want you to do the same. Treat people how I have treated you. Love people as I have loved you. Then the Apostle Paul comes along. The Apostle Paul, who at this point in his life hates the people who follow Jesus, hates them so much that he's involved in actually seeing them persecuted. He wants to see them dead until Jesus causes a head-on collision with Paul on the road to Damascus. And on that day, he forgave Paul 
Paul turns to Jesus. Jesus loves him. Jesus gives him a mission, turns his life completely upside down. And so when the apostle Paul knows of love, he knows that the way Jesus loves is the most powerful picture in the whole world, and he knows that what Jesus says is absolutely true. And so Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in the way of love. How? Just as Christ loved us. Where did he get that from? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus says, as I have treated you, I want you to treat one another. As I have loved you, I want you to love one another. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And then what happens is the Apostle Paul takes that principle, he takes that picture of love, and he just starts dropping it into different relationships. He starts dropping it into households, dropping it into families, dropping it into marriages. And when he does, this is the kind of thing that he begins to say. Verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, let's all say it together. Submit. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, ladies, if that bothers you, I believe you. I do. And, and I understand why there would some who would argue, see, Jeff, this is, this is why I don't buy into Christianity. This, this is why I don't buy into this whole thing. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, here's what I want to tell you. When Paul said this for the first time, writing it to those uh, first century uh, folks in Ephesus, when they heard that, nobody in that crowd did a what? What? Nobody did that. You know what they all did? Duh. No, what? Everybody just did a duh. And the reason they did that, it's so common, no surprises, nobody was offended, is because in that day, men had legal jurisdiction over their families. They, they had legal jurisdiction over their children, and they had legal jurisdiction over their wives. In other words, they live in this culture where if, if you don't live up to this, then I'll just go a different direction. They knew they could be arrested. They knew they could be sold. And therefore, the ladies were like, yeah, we, we have to submit. We have to submit. Now, this is a big deal to us. And we're going to talk about why in a few minutes. But first, I want to show you something that I think is really interesting. In fact, I think it's transformational. In fact, it really is the principle upon which this whole deal is turned upside down. Our Bible in the English language is translated from the Greek right? Paul, when he originally wrote 
Ephesians, he writes it in Greek, and it's sent out as a letter. Those manuscripts eventually, because most of us don't know how to read Greek, it's translated into English. The earliest, earliest Greek manuscripts take, as it takes this verse, all right, I'm going to read it to you one more time, verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now I'm going to show you how it literally translates from the Greek. You ready? This is how it translates. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. What word is not in there? Submit. All the ladies sat up. It's not in there. The word submit is not in there. And I'm telling you, it's not in there. So the question is, why is it not in there? Well, hold on. The reason it's not in there is because the way Greek grammar works, it's, it's much like English in some regards. In this particular case, it's not in there because of what is put in the verse before. There's no verb in this verse because the verb is in the verse before and it is therefore continually inferred in the verses that follow. So the question is, well, what's in the verse before? Here's what's in the verse before, verse 21. Submit to what? One another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's why it's not in the next verse when it says, so wives, submit. Because it's, it's already been said, but when it gets said, it says submit to one another. Now, I want you to notice again, it's out of reverence for Christ. Paul always connects this to Jesus. He's always the picture. He's always the model. And all of a sudden, we begin to see that this submission is not just a one-way deal. Submit to one another means it is mutual. Out of reverence for Christ, reverence is awe. Reverence is I am wowed for what Jesus has done for me. I am overwhelmed for how I have been loved. In other words, awe is not about church attendance. Awe is not demonstrated in the songs that we sing. Awe is demonstrated in how we love others. And specifically in that most significant relationship, it comes down to what I told you, I hinted to you last week, it is this submission competition. A submission competition, submit to one another. We are racing to the back of the line to put each other first. This is how it works. I'm not here for you because you are here for me. I'm here for you because Jesus is here for me. Woo. I'm not here for you because you've done your part. I'm here for you because Jesus has done his. I'm not here for you because you were here for me. This is not a, this is not a, a, a comparison thing. This, this is not about you owe me, I owe you. I'm here for you because Jesus has been and is here for me. So I will leverage all of me for what benefits you the most. Because that's what he did for me. As men and women, husbands and wives, 
We have different roles, but not different value. So, Paul establishes this common ground. Let's go back to verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. By the way, ladies, a a study has been conducted. Do you know what percentage of men are worth submitting to? None of us. None of us. And Jesus says, knowing that, I want you to put what's in his pack ahead of yours. And then what comes next in the text? What comes next in the text is what made the crowd in Paul's day go, what? Because after he tells wives, submit to your husbands, this is where he goes. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. And I know this is so hard for me to convey to you, but I'm telling you, everybody in that room went, what? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. One more time, who does Paul connect it to? Jesus. What image does he connect them to? A cross. Every time he says, ladies, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. He connects it to this picture of how Jesus has loved us. And all the guys in the room hear him say this, and one of them says, wait a minute. Jesus, I've heard this story. This didn't end well for him. You mean we men have a responsibility toward our wives? Even equality? In that day, it was wow. He goes on, verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Paul, in another place, would describe this as a mystery. He said it's one. It's this one flesh, no division. And I'm telling you, this is so brand new to them. Now, in our culture, we read this kind of stuff. We read about wives and and submission, and and, and it makes ladies bristle up to some degree, right? And and I I said, I, I, I get that. I get that. Why? Because in our culture, we embrace an equality of men and women. But guess who introduced this equality idea? Guess who was the first real person with authority to declare you equal with men, ladies? It was Jesus. And I would submit to you that he argued for your dignity before it was a category. And I think it was why so many women in the New Testament we read about, so many of them, they flocked to Jesus because he cared about them. He loved them differently than anybody else in their culture did. Now, this is still such a struggle. It can be a struggle in certain scenarios and places in our own culture. It is certainly a struggle in different places in the world that we travel to. But what Jesus declared about value, it is the shadow of that which is to come. Men, he says, what is life to you? Just put her before that. 
But you can't do that if there's this huge pack of pressure between you. Well, how do you do that? How do you make sure that doesn't happen? It's the decision. She doesn't owe me anything. It's the decision. He doesn't owe me anything. This is not a feeling. This is a decision. And what Paul says, if you really want to see this beautiful, then it's mutual. It's mutual. It's submit to one another. This is oneness. This is her best over yours. And he's going, no, no. she's saying, no, this is his best over mine. And, and they're arguing at the back of the line over who gets put first. A submission competition. All right. Last week's homework. Did you do it? I hope you did. I'm going to challenge you to catch up if you didn't. Because some of you, I told you last week, you, you see relationships like you see a car. You don't want to work on it. You just want it to work. And if that's your philosophy, the car ends up at some point on the side of the road, and so will your relationship. It takes some work. The first thing I asked you to do last week was what? Anybody remember? Don't talk about it, right? Don't talk about it. That was, that was the first thing last week. And the reason I didn't want you to talk about it too much, which I understand that when I say don't talk about it, for some of you what that means is we're going to talk about it. That's just kind of how it works. I know that for some of you that's where it goes. But I knew that if you talked about it without having this principle that we're talking about today and seeing where this comes from, sometimes it just turns into a bigger fight. The, the, the pressure just gets bigger. That's why we just needed some time for you to define what's in your pack. What do you imagine? Because what you're not clear on is a part of what creates the tension. And then my question to you was, are you, are you turning this into pressure for someone else? All right? This week, the homework changes. Here's, here's your first element of homework. I want you to ask them, what do you imagine? Now, last week, you defined it for yourself. You defined, what, what do I imagine? What is, when I come to this relationship, what are those things that I imagine it being this way? This week is for you to ask them, what do you imagine? And here's your second part of your homework. When you ask, stop talking and start listening. When you ask them, what do you imagine? You be quiet and listen to what they have to say. Now, guys, I'm just going to warn you. One, she may faint when you ask. Like, you ask her, what do you, what do you see? What do you imagine? She may faint because you've never asked her before. Two, she may get mad. You know why she's going to get mad? I can't believe you don't know, right? That, she's going to get mad. I can't believe we've been married for how many years? We've been married for this many years. Been, you don't even know. Can we, just, can we just clarify that most of us don't know? Most of us don't know. Those of you who do know, you're, all, you're okay. You're, all, you're not offended by this, so most of us don't know. So when we ask the question, we're asking the question because even if we think we do know, come on, you should love each other enough to make sure. 
And some of you are going to be surprised in this process because what you were so sure of is not actually what they imagined. And when that happens, do not open your mouth. Stay silent and just listen and let them talk. Ladies, please don't, don't do the, you are just asking me because Jeff said ask. What is wrong with that? If he asks you because I'm encouraging him to take some steps, that should be commended, not criticized. Don't do that. The reason we tend to respond those ways is it just reflects how much tension actually does exist in a lot of relationships. It shows how much really has built up. And even when there are steps of, of I want to take some steps, we, we, we're quick to like, criticize because what in the world? Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Ladies, if you ask him, what's in your pack? There is a large percentage who are going to have this response. Nothing. Nothing. And it really might be because he doesn't know what's in that pack. But there's a part of it that we're afraid. We're afraid. I'm letting it out. We're afraid because if where we are now doesn't match up with what I imagined, that looks like I failed. If where we are actually right now doesn't match up with where I, I imagine that, that looks like I failed. But the funny thing is, guys, sometimes we're afraid to even talk about it, but we still expect her to help us get there, there where we haven't even talked about. So this week, it's time to ask the question. This week, it's time to turn it the other direction. What's in the pack? What do you imagine? This is that I'm all in question. And here's where we go. I know, I know, Jeff, oh, do you know what you're asking me to do? Because if, if I take the pressure off, you have no idea what he might do or not do. Jeff, if I take the pressure off, you have no idea what she might do. Jeff, he will never follow through. Jeff, I don't know if he will ever come home. Jeff, I don't know if she will stop spending. I, I, don't, Jeff, I, don't, I don't know. I'm afraid if I take the pressure off, I don't know what he or she will do or will not do. But I'm just telling you, this is the way forward. This is the way forward. Uh, up until now, you, you, you have this this pack of what you imagine. And you, on one side, are pulling with everything you got. This is the right way. This is where I believe we need to be. This is what's best for me. And she, on the other side, no, this, this is the right way. I, I, this, I, that, that, have you, did this work for your parents? Did this, wor did this work? No, it didn't work. Everybody knows this, this, is, the, this is the best route. This is what is best for me. This, this, this is what I imagine. And, and we, got this, we got this tug of war going on in your house. And has anybody recognized nobody who fights a war out in the world wants to come home to a war. 
That's why some of you don't want to go home. When you're fighting a war out in the world, you don't want to fight a war at home. But you got this tug of war going on, and it's going back and forth, and eventually, it's like, I can't let go of this rope. If I let go of this rope, you don't know. He may never, he may never. If I let go of this rope, she, she may never, she may. We can't let go of the rope. Okay, I got, I got an idea. I got an idea. You ready? On the count of three. On the count of three, right? One, two, three. You were supposed to drop the rope. No, you said you were going to drop the rope. That's why I didn't drop the rope, because you, you said you wouldn't. We're, we're, we're going to. Listen to me. If you are a Christian, then you have to go first. Like, what? If you're a Christian, you have to go first. Why? Because when you were dead in your sin, Jesus dropped the rope. And he did something for you, whether you did anything in return or not. He loved you whether you were going to love him back or not. At the cross, Jesus went first. And Jesus' followers do the same. We go first in an effort to be last. And this week, what that looks like is listening. Listening. It's going to be tough. For some of you, it's going to be tough. You, you're going to ask the question, what do you imagine? And they're going to start to say it, and, and you're going to immediately get defensive because you're going to feel like, I, I wish I'd have known this, or, or I know this, and, and I've, I feel like I failed because I didn't do it. And you're, you're, you're immediately going to want to fire back, and, and even though you're trying to be at the back of the line, you're going to want to defend a little bit. And I'm saying this week, to drop the rope, this week to go first, may just mean that you're willing to listen. But when you actually begin to live this out in your marriage, then you start to fulfill the purpose for which your marriage exists. I want to show you this verse again today as we kind of wrap this up. In the very first chapter of the Bible, God makes a remarkable statement about men and women. We've said in this word, imagine, there's eyes. In this word, imagine, there's me. In this word, imagine, there's mine. But you'll notice from the title slide that we use, we've chose to zero in on another word in that word, imagine. It is the word image. And this is why. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Men, women, in his image. Jeff, what does that mean? Well, we said a part of being made in the image of God, we would point to things like our, our ability to reason, um, our ability to, uh, for spirituality to have a relationship with God, our, our, our sense of morality, a right and wrong, our creativity. The animals don't have that. And I would say that's absolutely right. 
That is a part of what it means to be made unique in the image of God. But it's also something very simple that we often miss. Images are made to image. Images are made to image. And so I want you to think about it in terms of a mirror. God makes us like a mirror. The image reflects the one who made us. And the point is that we would live toward the world. I'm going to describe it. I'm going to point it this way because it freaks some of you out to see yourself in the mirror. A 45-degree angle is the image I, I have where, sorry, just I got to go one way or the other. Upward, where his greatness shines down, his image reflected in us, and then out to the world. This is who God is. But what we talked about last week was that ever since the garden and an enemy who persuaded us that our image is more beautiful than God's, we have turned this baby around, or at least attempted to, and we like living life like this. We want to live life this direction where I love me more than I love him, and therefore I love me more than I love others. And what happens is when you drag this into this, and, and now there's a ring on her finger and, or his finger, and now both of you are standing in front of the mirror. We, we love ourselves more than we love him. We love ourselves more than we love one another. Uh, what we are attempting is to impress our image on the other. I want her in my image. She wants me in her image. Here's my point. You're never going to get to beautiful on this side. You'll never get there. You get there when you decide to turn that mirror back around. And it's pointed this direction. And then the two of you decide. We don't owe we owe each other everything, but are owed nothing in return. We decide we're going to race to the back of the line in order to put each other first. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you choose to do that, who do you look like? Jesus. Jesus. The one who races to the back of the line to, to put us first. The one who loved us, when, when, not knowing what we would even bring in return. That looks like Jesus, and when your marriage points toward him, suddenly, I know I'm blinding you, suddenly, the world looks at you, and you begin to fulfill the great purpose of reflecting the greatness of God. The world goes, you seen those two? Have you seen those two? You, have you seen how they treat each other? Have, have you seen how good they are to each other? Have you seen how they protect each other? Have you seen how they try to serve each other? Have you seen them? Isn't that weird? 
yeah, it's weird. It's downright crazy. It's why very few couples ever even try it. But those who do begin to experience something greater than you can even imagine. But Jeff, what about my stuff? I'll see you next week for week three of Imagine. Let's pray. All right, Lord, I'm asking. I'm asking that you'd give us enough wisdom here today to slow down, to pause, to take a real look at this, and not to be so afraid that we're not willing to start to trust you. God, there are some mirrors that need to be turned around for a long time. God, we, we thought that compromise was the best route, and we make our list, and we each do our part, and we keep track, and that way nobody gets hurt. But God, what, what we know in the middle of that, that does not build trust. That does not build intimacy. So God, I'm, I'm asking you to help us. Help us to begin to take the step um, that you've already shown us it works. God, it's how you got to us. You didn't, you didn't take the rope and pull us there. You took the cross and drew us there. God, some of that needs to start to happen in our relationships. I'm asking that you'll give us courage. I'm asking that this week as the conversations begin to happen and questions are asked of what we each imagine, God, give us power to just be quiet. Give us power to not be defensive. God, give us power to just start to trust. God, we can, we can try to force this all we want to, but it's not real love. We can try to negotiate all we want to, but it's not real love. God, this is what the real thing looks like, and I'm asking you to help us to fight for that. God, what I know is that there's no greater pain than the pain of relationships. When things go sideways, when it doesn't work out, God, there is just no greater struggle. So I'm asking you to help those of us who are hearing my voice today, who are thinking at this point, this is too painful, our relationship is too far gone, uh, we are too wounded. God, I'm asking you to zero us in on who we're talking to. For you are the God who ran to the back of the line and died for us. But then on the third day, you arose. And that means that no relationship is too far gone. God, what we don't even understand, you understand. Help us to trust you today. At least some first steps. It's in the great name of Jesus who loved us first that we pray. Amen. Let's stand.